0: Chapter 35 of Great Expectations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Chapter 35 It was the first time that a grave had opened in my road of life and the gap it made in the smooth ground was wonderful. The figure of my sister in her chair by the kitchen fire haunted me night and day. That the place could possibly be without her was something my mind seemed unable to compass, and whereas she had seldom or never been in my thoughts of late, I had now the strangest ideas that she was coming towards me in the street, or that she would presently knock at the door. In my rooms, too— with which she had never been at all associated, there was at once the blankness of death, and a perpetual suggestion of the sound of her voice, or the turn of her face or figure, as if she were still alive, and I had been often there. Whatever my fortunes might have been, I could scarcely have recalled my sister with much tenderness, but I suppose there is a shock of regret which may exist without much tenderness. Under its influence— and perhaps to make up for the want of the softer feeling, I was seized with a violent indignation against the assailant from whom she had suffered so much, and I felt that on sufficient proof I could have revengefully pursued Orlick or any one else to the last extremity. Having written to Joe to offer him consolation, and to assure him that I would come to the funeral, I passed the intermediate days in the curious state of mind I have glanced at, I went down early in the morning and alighted at the blue boar in good time to walk over to the forge. It was fine summer weather again, and, as I walked along, the times when I was a little helpless creature, and my sister did not spare me, vividly returned. But they returned with a gentle tone upon them that softened even the edge of tickler. For now the very breath of the beans and clover whispered to my heart BUT THE DAY MUST COME WHEN IT WOULD BE WELL FOR MY MEMORY THAT OTHERS WALKING IN THE SUNSHINE SHOULD BE SOFTENED AS THEY THOUGHT OF ME. AT LAST I CAME WITHIN SIGHT OF THE HOUSE, AND SAW THAT Trabb AND COMPANY HAD PUT IN A funereal EXECUTION AND TAKEN POSSESSION. TWO DISMALLY ABSURD PERSONS, EACH OSTENTATIOUSLY EXHIBITING A CRUTCH DONE UP IN A BLACK BANDAGE, AS IF THAT INSTRUMENT COULD POSSIBLY COMMUNICATE ANY COMFORT TO ANYBODY were posted at the front door, and in one of them I recognized a postboy discharged from the boar for turning a young couple into a saw-pit on their bridal morning, in consequence of intoxication rendering it necessary for him to ride his horse clasped round the neck with both arms. All the children of the village and most of the women were admiring these sable warders and the closed windows of the house and forge, and as I came up one of the two warders Postboy knocked at the door, implying that I was far too much exhausted by grief to have strength remaining to knock for myself. Another sable warder, a carpenter, who had once eaten two geese for a wager, opened the door, and showed me into the best parlour. Here Mr. Trabb had taken unto himself the best table, and had got all the leaves up, and was holding a kind of black bazaar, with the aid of a quantity of black pins. At the moment of my arrival he had just finished putting somebody's hat into black long-clothes, like an African baby, so he held out his hand for mine. But I, misled by the action, and confused by the occasion, shook hands with him with every testimony of warm affection. Poor dear Joe, entangled in a little black cloak tied in a large bow under his chin, was seated apart at the upper end of the room, where, as chief mourner, he had evidently been stationed by Trabb. When I bent down and said to him, "'Dear Joe, how are you?' He said, "'Pip, old chap, you knowed her when she was a fine figure of a—' and clasped my hand and said no more. Biddy, looking very neat and modest in her black dress, went quietly here and there and was very helpful. When I had spoken to Biddy— as i thought it not a time for talking i went and sat down near joe and there began to wonder in what part of the house it-she my sister was the air of the parlor being faint with the smell of sweet cake i looked about for the table of refreshment it was scarcely visible until one had got accustomed to the gloom but there was a cut-up plum-cake upon it and there were cut-up oranges and sandwiches and biscuits and two decanters that I knew very well as ornaments, but had never been used in all my life, one full of port and one of sherry. Standing at this table, I became conscious of the servile Pumblechook in a black cloak and several yards of hat-band, who was alternately stuffing himself and making obsequious movements to catch my attention. The moment he succeeded, he came over to me, breathing sherry and crumbs, and said in a subdued voice, "'May I, dear sir?' and did. I then descried Mr. and Mrs. Hubble, the last named in a decent, speechless paroxysm in a corner. We were all going to follow, and were all in course of being tied up separately by Trabb into ridiculous bundles.' "'Which I mean to say, Pip,' Joe whispered me, as we were being what Mr. Trabb called formed in the parlour, two and two, and it was dreadfully like a preparation for some grim kind of dance. Which I mean to say, sir, as I would in preference have carried her to the church myself, along with three or four friendly ones what come to it with swillin hearts and arms. But it were considered what the neighbours would look down on such, and would be of opinions, as it were, wanting in respect. "'Pocket-handkerchiefs out, all!' cried Mr. Trabb at this point, in a depressed business-like voice. "'Pocket-handkerchiefs out! We are ready!' So we all put our pocket-handkerchiefs to our faces, as if our noses were bleeding, and filed out two and two, Joe and I, Biddy and Pumblechook, Mr. and Mrs. Hubble. The remains of my poor sister had been brought round by the kitchen door, and, it being a point of undertaking ceremony that the six bearers must be stifled and blinded under a horrible black velvet housing with a white border, the whole looked like a blind monster with twelve human legs, shuffling and blundering along, under the guidance of two keepers, the postboy and his comrade. The neighbourhood, however, highly approved of these arrangements, and we were much admired as we went through the village the more youthful and vigorous part of the community making dashes now and then to cut us off, and lying in wait to intercept us at points of vantage. At such times the more exuberant among them called out in an excited manner on our emergence round some corner of expectancy, "'Here they come! Here they are!' And we were all but cheered. In this progress I was much annoyed by the abject Pumblechook, who, being behind me, persisted all the way as a delicate attention in arranging my streaming hatband and smoothing my cloak. My thoughts were further distracted by the excessive pride of Mr. and Mrs. Hubble, who were surpassingly conceited and vainglorious in being members of so distinguished a procession. And now the range of marshes lay clear before us, with the sails of the ships on the river growing out of it, and we went into the churchyard close to the graves of my unknown parents, Philip Pirrup, late of this parish, and also Georgiana, wife of the above. And there my sister was laid quietly in the earth, while the larks sang high above it, and the light wind strewed it with beautiful shadows of clouds and trees. Of the conduct of the worldly-minded Pumblechook while this was doing, I desired to say no more than it was all addressed to me, AND THAT EVEN WHEN THOSE NOBLE PASSAGES WERE READ WHICH REMIND HUMANITY HOW IT BROUGHT NOTHING INTO THE WORLD, AND CAN TAKE NOTHING OUT, AND HOW IT FLEETH LIKE A SHADOW, AND NEVER CONTINUETH LONG IN ONE STAY, I HEARD HIM cough A RESERVATION OF THE CASE OF A YOUNG GENTLEMAN WHO CAME UNEXPECTEDLY INTO LARGE PROPERTY. WHEN WE GOT BACK, HE HAD THE hardihood TO TELL ME THAT HE WISHED MY SISTER COULD HAVE KNOWN I HAD DONE HER SO MUCH HONOR and to hint that she would have considered it reasonably purchased at the price of her death. After that, he drank all the rest of the sherry, and Mr. Hubble drank the port, and the two talked, which I have since observed to be customary in such cases, as if they were of quite another race from the deceased, and were notoriously immortal. Finally, he went away with Mr. and Mrs. Hubble, to make an evening of it, I felt sure, and to tell the